Greetings, Dog Nation. Before we look ahead to week three of the college football season, we got to take a minute to talk about what happened on a very busy and very interesting weekend in college football. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Let's talk week two. Happy Monday. I hope you had a wonderful Sunday and a wonderful weekend. This is the first of the reaction shows that I've done so far this year. Not sure if we'll do them every week. Sometimes they might come out on Monday morning. Sometimes they might be around on Sunday afternoon, just kind of depending on what things look like. Uh, I tried to record, or I thought I was going to record on Saturday night, uh, but honestly, sleep. I needed some sleep. So uh, this is coming to you maybe a day later than it typically will, but we're going to start today. We're going to keep it pretty simple. We're going to talk a little bit about the Georgia win over Ball State and really just start setting up what we will do hopefully more effectively later in the week and talk a lot about Georgia's matchup with South Carolina. And then we'll take a quick break and look around the country and talk about the other games with uh, big implications that happened over the weekend. So for Georgia, another slow start. Um, you know, I was getting some text messages uh, asking if I was sure that we shouldn't be uh, that we should leave Bobo alone, which was the uh, the theme of the last show. Uh, I was very happy in the second quarter when Georgia finally turned it on, scored 31 points. Obviously, the defense. Uh, helped out a lot with that but by the time halftime came around I felt pretty comfortable <laughs> that uh that I had gone to bat for Mike Bobo and I, and I still feel the way I felt last week I, I don't I don't really think we can glean too much from these two games and ultimately you know the, the rankings will come out later today Georgia will still be one um but that doesn't matter I mean, you know I'd love it, honest to goodness. I'd love it if they dropped Georgia to like three or four, put Texas at one, you know, whatever. I I don't care because at this point, Georgia's played two teams that they should have beaten easily, and at the end of the game, they beat them easily. I know a lot of Georgia fans are very frustrated and worried and all of that, and, and I'm not saying you're necessarily wrong for being that way or being worried. I do think we're wrong if we're taking that worry and we're taking and, and we're drawing conclusions from it because I don't think you can take a whole lot out of these two games. You definitely can't look at it and go, hey, there's no problem with the offense. We've scored 40 points in the first two games of the season. That would be ridiculous. Um, or or even saying, hey, there's no problem with the defense. We've held the first two uh, opponents to single dig digits. Obviously, ridiculous. But – I also think it would be ridiculous to say, hey, based on what I've seen so far, this offense sucks. Like th That is not true. You cannot look at an offense that has scored as many points as they have and say they are bad. What we are doing is we are taking very small pieces of things that we're seeing, we're extrapolating those out to better opponents, and we're worrying about what that could look like. That's fine. Just don't say something definitive like, oh, Beck sucks or Bobo's awful or, you know, anything like that, because truthfully, we don't know. Um, I would not be shocked at all if the offense struggles when they play South Carolina this weekend. I don't want to get too much into that game, but 
I have my own worries. I'm worried about Carson Beck. I'm worried about his ability to be composed. I talked that, about that in the last episode. I'm not worried about Mike Bobo. And, and I, I, I will continue to stick with that. But I am worried about Beck's ability when the pressure starts ramping up through the season. It, does he have that in him? The thing that Stetson had more than anything else was the ability to play great in big moments. And Georgia will, throughout this season, put themselves in some big moments. And we won't know if Carson Beck can do it until he's in those situations. This week will be the first time I think we get a little sense of that, okay? Going out there and being nervous in your first game, that's that's not a, you know, a, a benchable offense. Going out and not being perfect in your second game, again, not a benchable offense. So I think the biggest takeaway I had from the quarterbacks is, you know, Vandergriff got a series. Um, Gunner got a series. They both looked awful. So it was the opposite of the first game where Beck struggled early. Uh, seemed to the offense seemed to kind of succeed in spite of him. And then the two backups come in and look amazing. Um, you know, in this game, Beck looked pretty good. The two backups I, they only got one series each. I do completely understand that, but neither one of them looked sharp. Neither one of them looked great. So. Let's everybody take a breath, and we'll know a whole lot more about this offense after this weekend. The only other thing I'll say is, the more I thought about it uh, yesterday, I would not be surprised if we look back at these first two games, and maybe even on Saturday night, look back at these first two games and say, oh, you know, the team just wasn't really excited or mentally ready to play these two games against UT Martin and Ball State. Georgia has been in so many big games over the last couple years. When you think about going back to 21 and Clemson, the SEC title game last year, Tennessee, another SEC championship game, and obviously two playoff runs, a lot of these players have been on some huge stages. And I'm sorry, I just don't think you can expect them to be really excited and mentally prepared and ready to play Ball State at noon on September 9th. Okay, so this week with an SEC opponent with a, you know, a rival, we'll we'll talk more about the whole rivalry thing come Thursday when we do our preview show. But uh, an SEC East opponent and the games that start really mattering and, and starting to really test where this team is against other opponents in the conference, I think we'll see a different Georgia. And my gut right now tells me that after this game, we're going to think about it like we did against Arkansas and Kentucky in 2021 when you thought a decent team was coming into Athens that might be able to challenge Georgia a little bit, and they got absolutely slapped around. So more on that later in the week. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and talk about what was really interesting over the weekend, which is all the things that happened around the country in college football this past Saturday. Obviously, the big game coming into last week was Texas and Alabama, and I thought in a lot of ways it lived up to the hype. It was a very entertaining game. Uh, obviously, Texas wins 34-24 in Tuscaloosa. Uh, we're going to start with a positive for Texas. You know, I said in my preview show I would just have to miss on Texas. There was no reason on paper, even had they lost this game, there's no reason on paper they should not have gone 11-1 and and been playing for the Big 12 Championship and they're the, the most talented team in that conference. So you would think a 12-1 and Texas that maybe had lost to Alabama would still make the playoff. 
But the reality for Texas is in the last 15 years, and maybe even a little bit more than that, they have not been able to take care of business when they are the supremely more talented team on the field. They lose to TCU. They lose to Texas Tech. They lose to Baylor. They lose to all these middle-of-the-road Big 12 teams that have, I mean, they're not scrubs, they're not Vandy, but they're not the top teams in the Big 12. And yet, year after year after year, somehow Texas manages to not play its best in those games and, and go even farther and lose those games a lot of the time. So the team we saw on Saturday night in Tuscaloosa, in Texas team, they could be a playoff team. And at this point, they will be favored in every game for the rest of this season and if Quinn Ewers plays like that, if that those receivers play like that, and if that defense plays like that, I think you could see Texas run the table or maybe drop a game somewhere, but still make the playoff with a, as a one-loss Big 12 champion in their last year in the league. It's going to be a whole lot more telling to see what they do over the next month maybe than this past week. Saturday night. It was impressive. Anytime you can go into Tuscaloosa and win, that doesn't happen very often. They talked about it on the broadcast. Last team to win in Tuscaloosa, Joe Burrow and LSU in 2019. So obviously you don't just walk into that stadium and beat that team. And there was a point in that third quarter where it seemed like, despite the fact that Texas had been far and away the better team throughout the entire game, Alabama seemed like they were going to do that thing where they don't play their best, but they they just stop the other team from scoring touchdowns enough. This is what they did to Texas last year in Austin. Texas was the better team, even after the quarterback goes out uh, in the first quarter on that uh, roughing the passer penalty last year. Texas was still the better team for the rest of the game, but Alabama just they made them feel kick some field goals. They missed Texas missed a field goal. Alabama just stays there and they find a way to do it at the end because Alabama is the kind of team that you have to kill. You can't just squeak a win by them. And Texas, to their credit, the most impressive thing that Texas did was not the fact that they should have scored three touchdowns in the first half and they should have been up like 21 to six at halftime. That had me completely believing that this was going to be another heartbreaker for Texas. But when Alabama made that long touchdown pass and took the lead for the first time in the game, three plays later, Texas was down on the other end of the field scoring a touchdown uh, to A.D. Mitchell and retaking the lead, and they would never give it up again. So very impressive. Congratulations to Texas. There is no yin without the yang. Alabama the people that will start calling into Feinbaum this afternoon uh, saying that the dynasty is over and all of this kind of stuff, they might be a little bit late to the party. I think most people, even Alabama fans, understand that things are a little bit different. They have been the last couple years, not just the fact that Georgia's done what they've done, but the Alabama teams the last couple years, they've just been one little half step down. And i got to be honest with you, this Alabama team, and, and even going back into last year, it reminds me so much of Georgia for 15 years under Mark Rick. And let me explain what I'm saying. Georgia would always be good, right? Like there, there wasn't a whole lot of time, years in, in, that, in that time period for Mark Rick that Georgia just was not competitive. But they were always missing something. You know, when they had Stafford and Moreno and A.J. Green, they had no defense. When they had... A really great defense, 
they had no quarterback. When they had a great quarterback and a and a great defense, they had no offensive line. It was just always something. And the reality is, at the top end of college football, you have to be good everywhere and great in some places. Alabama has a good defense. It is not great. The secondary has got a lot of young guys back there, but young guys get better. We talked about this with Georgia. They will get better over the course of the season. So the fact that they're getting burnt over the top by some really talented wide receivers from Texas, that is not the worst thing. Bama's defense, the front seven, played very, very well. They got pressure. Uh, they, they did a lot of good things. They limited the running for Texas. But ultimately, you can't keep putting that defense out there series after series after series trailing. It was a miracle and a testament to Alabama's red zone defense that this game was not over in the first half. Alabama's offense is a problem, a big, big problem. Obviously, everybody's going to talk about Milrow, and that is a problem. So let's talk about Milrow. He is an exceptional athlete with a a really beautiful deep ball, but he's not a good quarterback. He's just not, and I don't think it's the kind of thing that he can fix because he has no poise in the pocket, and he didn't have any kind of ability to not just make the simple throws, but just kind of understand the simple concepts of the defense. Both of the picks that he threw were really poor throws, okay? Now, you throw, you, you go deep, you make a throw, and a player makes a, a play on the ball. That happens sometimes. Quarterbacks should not be judged by the interceptions they throw. It's the kind of interceptions that Milrow was throwing that I think has to be taken into account. Besides that, the lack of presence in the pocket could not be ignored. Now, the offensive line was a problem last year. It was a problem in 21. It's still a problem. I said on the podcast a few weeks ago, I did not understand why the national media was so convinced that Alabama's offense was going to be the best in the country and Alabama's offensive line, or sorry, their offensive line was going to be the best in the country. It just didn't make sense to me. All these guys have been there. They're not bad. They weren't great running the ball. They were solid running the ball. But once Texas said, you know what, we're going to stack the box and dare Milrow to beat us, then they, they couldn't do anything to run the ball towards the second half. And Alabama couldn't depend on Milrow to make enough throws to win that game. The The biggest concern, if I am an Alabama fan, where was the backups? Like, at what point is are you going to give somebody else an opportunity? Because this was supposed to be a three-man race. Ty Simpson and uh, Buckner from Notre Dame. Supposed to be a three-guy race. It never seemed like there was a chance anybody else was coming in. Now, maybe that's just a little bit of how the game played out. There were moments where you kind of felt like maybe Milrow's a series away from getting pulled. He won the job. The offense seems to be built around his abilities to run the ball, to scramble and all that. If the offensive line is as much of a problem as I think it is, you can't put somebody back there if they don't have that mobility because they're going to get crushed. But ultimately... It comes down to an iffy offensive line, an inconsistent person at quarterback, and I'm sorry, there are no skill position players at Alabama right now. After years of just dude after dude after dude, 
they don't have a number one wide receiver. If Jermaine Burton is that, that is a problem for Alabama. Jermaine Burton is fine, and this is not because he left Georgia. He's a fine wide receiver. But, and I might make some Georgia fans mad, he's like Lab McConkie. He's fine. But if he's what you have, you got a problem. When you look on the other side and you see Texas with Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, those are two dudes. Those are two one-and-one-A's. And when you have great receivers, then everybody else is going to seem better because you got that one dude out there. For Georgia, the dude is Brock Bowers. It's not a receiver. It's a tight end. But McConkie and Rosemary Jack Saint and everybody else, all the other weapons, the running backs, they look better because Brock Bowers is there. There's no Brock Bowers, there's no Xavier Worthy on this Alabama team. Or if he, if that person is there, they did not use him on Monday night. Or, sorry, Saturday night. So, this team to me looks like a team that will lose three games this season. Um, I don't know where they are, because we'll get to some of the other SEC issues here in a few minutes. But I, I don't see Alabama being a team that, okay, now they're going to go on a run. Texas is just that good. Texas may be that good. But I think the concerns for Alabama are exactly what I thought they were going to be. And even if they ended up winning the West at this point, maybe that's not what we thought it was going to be coming into the year. Uh, a couple other things from around the country. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on Colorado. Everybody else is. Um, Nebraska is very bad. Like, I I kind of thought Matt Rule would be able to turn that around a little bit quicker. Um, but he has not. And Nebraska is not very good. So my uh, Colorado played with its food a little bit uh, against Nebraska, but they Nebraska, I think, turned the ball over six times. You know, Dion, Shador, they all talk a lot. And I don't mind trash talk. I, I don't. But a lot of this feels like it's made up. Um, I'm just going to go and say there's something a little bit Trumpian about Dion at this point. He, he's talking about all of this uh, negativity that's out there and all this criticism that he took. And I don't think any of it's real. I, I think he's out there kind of creating a straw man enemy for his team that never really existed in the media. I mean, look, hey, you did it at Jackson State. You did it at an HBCU. That was awesome. Can he do it at a P5 school? That's not doubting Dion. That's not a knock on Dion. That is a legitimate question that gets asked of every coach who goes from a G5 school or a Division II school and they step up to a P5 school. Like, that is a normal and expected question. And Dion seems to just continuously look around the room and go, none of y'all believed in us. And it's like, well, that that's not their job. The, it's not the job of the media or ESPN or the commentators to go, I think Dion can do it. Cool. You know, like, so what? The fans are supposed to believe, and they believe that that was a, an amazing crowd that they had in Boulder over the weekend. But I, I don't know. It, it I, To me, it's going to get old quick. And I think in a couple weeks when they play Oregon and a few weeks after that when they play USC, I'm interested to see what this looks like when they're not winning. Because make no mistake – this is not a Pac-12 championship team. This is a good team that's better than people expected with a roster that has like 90% different players than last year. Um, they've got a, a, a very good quarterback. They've got some really good guys at the skill positions. And Travis Hunter is a unicorn. All these things are true. 
but that is not a great football team. And they're going to lose four or five games. If they make a bowl game, they should build the on the statue because that's where they were versus where they are. It's it's so impressive. I just don't know how the Dion shtick works once they start losing. And so I'm interested in that. Not cheering against him. I just that's a question that's in my head. Another question that's in my head is what in the world is Texas A&M going to do about Jimbo Fisher? Because they owe that man about the GDP of the state of Alabama at this point, and it ain't working. Jimbo, he brings in Bobby Petrino, the offense is fine, and Miami about hung half a hundred on him Saturday. And Miami, now all of a sudden they're back, we'll see. You know, Texas, Miami, and Colorado all being back. Notre Dame's back. Everybody's back. Makes you feel like it's the 90s again. But uh, good good on you, Miami. You're playing in the ACC. The ACC looks like they've it, it, it's a relatively deep conference. Um, and so we'll, we'll find out more about Alabama or Miami over the next few weeks for A&M. Man, it's like whack-a-mole. Last year, you couldn't get the offense to do anything. Boom, you fix that, and here comes the defense popping up over here, and they can't stop anybody. So unless Miami's a top-10 team, this is a terrible sign for A&M. Maybe they thought they were just going to walk in there and and do it uh, and that they didn't really have to take Miami seriously, but it was pretty evident from the beginning of that game that they needed to take Miami seriously, and and A&M could not figure it out on defense. A week ago, North Carolina looked like they might be a team that could compete in the ACC. This week, they need double overtime to beat App State. So, uh, App State obviously is a team that they, they beat A&M last year. Of course, they had that win over Michigan uh, all those years ago that kind of was the first time that I can remember a, a smaller school beating a big school, at least of that magnitude. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what to think about Miami. I don't think I don't know what to think about UNC. You could throw Clemson in there as well. You know, they, they played the way they did against Duke. They played around. I think they were playing Furman on Saturday. I can't remember who they were playing, but they were playing around with uh, the team they were playing on Saturday. And then they end up winning like 63 to 10 or something crazy like that. But we'll find out. We know Florida State is good. I think we, we know that but the rest of the ACC it's hard to tell if that's a bunch of 10 and two teams or if that's a bunch of eight and four teams. And that makes a huge difference. So we'll just kind of see how that goes. Uh, I mentioned Clemson. I also mentioned Tennessee. They were playing around a little bit. Again, I did not care to, to take a note of who they were playing, but I think they were up maybe like 14 to 10 at halftime. They end up winning 30 to 13, but in a game, one of those bye games where they're supposed to be able to go out there and just have Joe Milton look like he's the greatest quarterback in the country and just blow everybody out, it wasn't like that. And so Tennessee plays Florida this weekend. That is going to be really big for both schools. Florida obviously already losing the game early in the season. They'll be one and two if they can't beat Tennessee. For Tennessee, it's the bigger question is can not only can they win that game, but can they do what they need to do to reestablish that they are still the team what they that they were last year, the kind of team that's going to go out there and just kill an inferior Florida team. So that's going to be interesting to watch out for this weekend. Ohio State has looked pretty average in the first couple weeks of the season, so that's the team that everybody assumed, I assumed, was going to just kind of keep trucking along under Ryan Day be right back towards the top of the Big Ten and maybe in the playoff, and maybe they will. But same deal as Georgia. They haven't looked extremely impressive, and and specifically at the quarterback position, there's some questions. 
a team that has looked really good through the first few weeks of the season needs a little bit of flowers is Notre Dame. Sam Hartman at quarterback, they they look real. They went on the road. They had a long delay uh, at NC State, but eventually they go on the road and they just absolutely pound, which is not a great NC State team, but, I mean, a solid NC State team, and they just beat the daylights out of them. So Notre Dame and Ohio State don't even play this weekend. They play in two weeks, but in week four, that's going to be – a really, really interesting game. I want to finish up this week by just going ahead and saying out loud what I think a lot of people probably have said and are already thinking. The SEC is down, period. You've already got the teams in the West, the three teams in the West that I thought would compete to win the West, Alabama, LSU, and A&M. They've already picked up losses in non-conference games. Um, then you look around the rest of the conference or the division. I mean, you got Auburn, they beat Cal 14-10. to 10. That's not a Cal team that's supposed to be very good. Ole Miss barely beat Tulane. Now, Tulane's a good team, but they had their backup quarterback in. Ole Miss messed around and almost looked like we were going to lose that. I talked about Tennessee in the East. We talked about Georgia in the East not necessarily looking like a juggernaut, at least so far. Florida and South Carolina have already picked up losses. The SEC is down. And, and, and I think for the people that follow the SEC um, – we're, we're so used to just assuming that everybody else is inferior that we may not always be capable of really just being honest with ourselves. Because when you look around the, the country, the Big Ten looks like it is what it always is. You know, you got a couple teams at the top and then a bunch of very average teams. I'm impressed with what I've seen so far in the ACC. I think you have to be when you talk about UNC, Miami, I'll still keep Clemson in there because they have talent and they're they're not just going to go away. But then obviously Florida State right now looking like they're the class of that conference. The Pac-12 looks like the best conference in the country. I mean, when you think that before the season Colorado was supposed to be their worst team, I mean, Colorado is, again, they're not going to win the conference, but they are a very solid team. Here we are. We've got this situation where USC, Oregon, Washington um, – Utah, Colorado, Washington State got a big win over the weekend, beat Wisconsin pretty handily. The Pac-12 is real, and it's really going away at the end of this season. So uh, it, it's going to be very weird for a conference that really hasn't been super relevant in the last five or six years. They're, they're having this resurgence this year, and then next year they will be no more. So that is the world of college football that we are living in. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this past weekend. We'll be back later in the week. We'll preview week three, which is a little bit of a step down nationally, but obviously for Georgia, a big step up in opponent as the dogs get ready to host South Carolina on Saturday. CBS game of the week, 3.30, the first game of the week for CBS in their last season broadcasting the SEC. Again, thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week, and as always, go dogs.